Welcome back to another episode of the Thinking Big Podcast. I'm your host, Sean Osborne, and today is part two with my friend and special guest, AJ Harper. AJ is an editor and publishing strategist who helps authors write foundational books that enable them to build readership, grow their brands, and make a significant impact on the world. She has worked with newbie authors like myself, all the way to New York Times bestselling authors with millions of books sold. Welcome to the Thinking Big Podcast with Sean Osborne, the show helping you think bigger into your life and potential. Sean believes by equipping you with the tools, strategies, and philosophies required to be successful in all aspects of your life, you can achieve anything you believe in. Empowering our own growth makes a deeply positive and lasting impact on our lives, community, and our world. Now, here's Sean. Today's episode is brought to you by Kajabi. Have you ever dreamt of turning your passion into profit? Well, Kajabi makes it easier than ever from online courses to coaching to content to fully integrated websites. Kajabi is everything you need to launch your online business and thrive. I've been using it for almost five years and it's trusted by over 50,000 entrepreneurs worldwide. Kajabi is the all-in-one platform that turns your expertise into impact. And if you're ready to start your success story, just visit the link in the show notes and get a free 30-day access to Kajabi. And if you missed part one, I highly recommend that you go back and listen to part one of this podcast. It's such such a powerful episode. We talked about the power of foundational books and, and building readership and brand. We talked about you know potential and pitfalls of using AI in book writing and also the importance of connecting with readers on a much deeper level. So go back and take a listen to it. AJ's expertise has resulted in millions of books sold. AJ is the powerhouse behind nine books co-written with business author Mike Michalowicz, including titles like Profit First and Get Different. And for those of us looking for a guide on crafting a transformational book, AJ's Write a Must Read, Craft a Book That Changes Lives, Including Your Own, it is a must book to have and read. So let's get back to part two. As you're doing this and you're writing books with these people, or even even me. So let's say I'm I'm writing additional books in the future. How how do we how do you keep that unique voice while you're writing more and more content? And especially like if you're writing with someone, like you're writing with Mike, or you you don't do any ghostwriting anymore. But how do you? I don't. Yeah. Yeah. How do you keep with? How does an author keep with a unique voice? What are what are things that we can? Because I always want it to sound like me. Yeah, as it should. That's great. The fact that you want that is a great beginning. Most people I work with, I have to kind of shake them off with all of their either corporate speak, academic speak, or just what their English teacher told them was right, you know? So you do have to have an idea of who you are and you don't find your voice sitting in a room and thinking about it. You find it through writing. But what you can do is decide who you are, and how you want to come across. And you need to think about how that's going to look across all platforms. So for example, if you write a book and it sounds just like you, Sean, but then all your blog posts sound like AI, this is not helpful, right? Because it's people aren't going to read your blogs because it doesn't sound like you. And you, want, you need everything to sound like you. So you have to be careful about it. 
But something I talk about in my book and that we go into in-depth in my workshop is what I call immutable laws and characteristics. And so it's thinking of immutable laws, which actually is a term from Mike in the bygone days. He uses it for his business. What are the mandatory laws of this business? So um, for me, back when I had my ghostwriting business, an, a mandatory law was you had to have the goods. I wasn't going to work with you if you were pulling together content from a bunch of other people, but it wasn't actually your own, right? That's an example of an immutable law for me. And when we sat down to plan his next books, we sat down with The Pumpkin Plan. That was his second book. And he said, I have 25 books I want to write. And I said, well, then you better figure out how to be authentically yourself across all of them because I felt like there were aspects of him that didn't come up through in the first book. So we just sat down and authentically, who are you and what do you stand for? The immutable law when it comes to books are things like, for him, one of them is mandatory reading. A book, we won't do a book unless it's going to become mandatory reading in the genre. Another one is disruptive, has to be disrupting of the status quo. And doable is another one. I also have disruptive and doable for my books. So meaning it's not just actionable, but people can actually do it. It's not, we have, we're not asking them to do something that's totally ridiculous. Those are examples of laws. But then there's characteristics. And for Mike, it's what we call arm over the shoulder. So he wants his books to sound like he's there sitting at the pub he puts his arm around the reader and says, buddy, it's going to be okay. Let me just draw this out for you on a napkin. And it's that kind of vibe. And that's authentically him. That's what he would do if he ran into you, you know? So then my role is to make sure it sounds like that all the way through, that it doesn't get sound too formal, that there's enough moments of connection like that. But you have to first set the intention. You have to decide that's it, you know? For me... It was not just realistic and no BS, but I'm not really like a tough talker. I'm a pretty nurturing person. So the combination of nurturing plus no BS is sort of my vibe. And I make sure that I'm doing that. So when you sit down and say, this is who I am, this is what I want it to sound like, and this is what my book will have to be in advance, it's easier than to make sure that you get that right. And one little note, this is not something that happens when you write the draft. It's something that happens in edits. So people are too hard on themselves and they say, oh my gosh, this sounds so boring, too corporate, preachy. I These are the things I hear all the time. It's okay. You can sort that out in edits. It's not really a first draft thing to worry about. So let me ask this. Can I use sarcasm as my thread to tie all my stuff together? Because <laughs> all my stuff seems to be sarcastic. <laughs> Tongue in cheek? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, why not? I mean, but you still have to pepper it with some moments of realness. Like you have to have moments where you get down and dirty with your reader and say, I see you, I get you, where you humble yourself. Those moments are also important for connection, but sarcasm, why not? I mean, Mike has this whole like doofus thing going on, you know? Um, and he makes fun of himself. That's part of it, you know? Part of my biggest problem in writing and, and you kind of help pull this stuff out is, but having a balance between, even in the draft, but the, the personal stories with kind of actionable content for the readers, 
And up until now, I'm telling you, there was no personal content in my stuff. But that does not, I'm here to, to teach you something and it's not about me. It's not about my life. It's not about what I've done. It's like, again, it's checker, like A, B, C, D, you do these things. And how, what is a good rule of thumb for balancing, maybe not even personal stories, but the stories with actionable content within, within writing? So there isn't really a ratio. It's people are always asking me how many stories per teaching point, how many stories per chapter. This isn't like that. It's more like, let's say you have a message that you really want to impart, and then you have to decide, okay, do I need a story to help people understand that message? Sometimes it's simple, a simple message. <clears throat> do you need a story? Maybe not, right? But let's say it's a message or a teaching point that they've never heard before, or it's complicated and has steps, or it's controversial. It, it messes with them where they think, that can't be right. That's that's not what my parents taught me. That's not what the industry says. Where you're really challenging their beliefs, right? Anytime where you've got something more complicated like that or challenging, stories really help. So it's more like looking at messaging and saying, okay, do I need a story here to help my reader understand, believe me, think differently, process, that's really how you make the decision. So for you know, for me, going through, so we've just gone through and and did, uh, you know, I've, I completed my one hour. Uh, it's an hour keynote speech through you know heroic public, heroic public speaking. Ooh. And Yay. yes, and one of so one of the things that stood out to me was I would put in some stories, and I would put in you know for the editor to say, hey, is this too much? Is this too little? Is this? I always think I'm putting in way too much stuff. And the editor would come back and say, no, that you could actually even add a little bit more. You could do you more. You mean the personal stuff? Yeah, yeah. It's like, the yeah, the, the stories, yeah, yeah, the personal stuff and, and some of the stories. It's like, I'm having to put in way more than I thought I should. And that's just from, yeah. a, that's just how, you know, how I was and that's how, you know, I, I wrote. But yeah, I, I didn't realize how much I should and could put into my writing on uh for for the book i'm i'm going back and adding again tons of stuff to the book as well to add in those contrast i first of all everyone says this to me every single person says oh I'm, i feel like i'm talking about myself too much how can this be this isn't good there's way too much personal and then i usually say actually it's not enough right and I think it's partly because we think we're bragging about ourselves, but we're really just telling a story. It's not like you should get up and you should have all these braggy stories in the book. It's more like what part of my life helps people understand better and helps me connect with them where they are because maybe I've also been there. It's not about saying, "I oh, look at me. I did all these things. It's more like, hey, look, I see you. I get you. I understand. Um, if you can think of it like that, as it's in service, what part of your life is in service to the reader, then it doesn't feel yucky. But I'm going to tell you, it's a universal problem among all newbie authors and even some experienced authors. It's too much me, too much me. It's not. <laughs> oh, I, I, I've definitely, they, uh, they got that into my head. That I, know I, need I mean, make. I even thought that, Sean. I had some early feedback from my book. People said, well, I don't know enough about you from this. And I was, even I was thought, oh, gosh, okay. Shoot, you know? 
And then I had to figure out what would, what, what did I do then though? I thought, what's useful? Okay. A lot of times it's useful to think, to show people how you screwed up because when you're teaching something to someone, you don't want to come across as a guru. So it's really helpful to say, yeah, I tried this and then I had to try it 80 more times. You know, that actually helps a reader, but we often skip that stuff because we want to sound like we really know our stuff, but it's actually really helpful to a reader to hear that maybe it took you a minute to master it. Um, anyway, there's, you know, there's a lot of gold in your own story and it doesn't have to be bragging. Yeah. And I really like how you put that into even, you know, your book that, that you wrote uh, for you, uh, you know, write and must read is all the stories that you had in there that was full of all these different stories throughout the book they all tied together they all made sense that but that really showed me how you can incorporate stories into what you're teaching and again most of my books all of my books will be about teaching something that's just what i do right so how you incorporated those stories into there really showed a lot of what's possible and what's What's good? It, it actually makes more sense now. It's like it actually drove the points in. You know, it actually helps you remember. That's what you should do. Yeah, yeah, and also should kind of let the reader off the hook a little bit. I have this. One of the things I added after I got that note was, I don't know if you remember this, but I included a list of all of most of the things that I lost because I believed in writer's block and I didn't follow through. And it was really hard to put that list in, but I thought, you know what? Let me be honest that I screwed up all these times because I believed that I couldn't do it. And I used that to show people that writer's block can really mess with you. I now, as you know, don't think it's real. And then I went on to explain how to kill it, right? So it was useful in that respect to say, look, I get it. You might be feeling really bad about not finishing, or all the opportunities you might have tanked because you didn't follow through, it's okay, I probably have a worse list, and here it is, right? That's helpful to a reader. Then they say, oh, okay, all right, it's not just me. All right, let me try this thing that you got. Because that is helpful content more than me giving you a list of awards I won, you know? Yeah, well, it definitely, it definitely works. One of the things I really appreciated about the book that that helped me a lot was on the publishing. So you talked, there's a whole mm -hmm. chapter on the publishing. I had no idea of the publishing. So my initial idea was like, okay, I've got a pretty big list. I've got about hundred over hundred thousand people that are on that are subscribed to my list. Uh, my I'm just gonna self-publish and I'm just gonna, you know, I'll send it out to my list, I'll do this. But I really changed, I think I changed the, my direction. I think I might actually go for traditional publishing after you, you know, talked about that. It was, no one ever discusses that. It's like, I didn't know all of those things that you put in that chapter. It was, it's kind of like looking behind the curtain at something that you, you don't know about, uh, but it really helped me on traditional versus self-published and why you would go traditional, why you would go self-published, why you would do these different things that. I just didn't know. And so today, yeah. like you would still like, you know, you don't know what my book's about, but you would still say, hey, go with traditional publishing. I mean, that's really. Look, I here's a problem. People don't know about publishing. And so they rely on experts and who tell them one way is the way. 
I'd really hope that authors will just get a little bit of knowledge and then make a decision based on their own set of priorities. I've seen too many authors shut closed doors, just walk on by doors. They think they don't have access to, but they actually do, right? So a little known fact, for example, traditional publishing is not just the big five, Simon & Schuster, HarperCollins, Macmillan, etc. It's, um, I forgot our, my publisher with Mike, I forgot to say it, Penguin Random House, um, and Hachette, those are the five. We think it's them, but there are so many publishers that you can access even without agent representation. I actually have one of my students from my workshops, actually they're a writing duo, Laura Frombach and Joy Farrow wrote this amazing book that comes out this fall called Street Smart Safety for Women. It's going to not, it's going to legit save women's lives, like physical safety. And they have a traditional publisher, a mid-tier publisher, and that publisher did not require agent representation. But people don't realize there are ways. You just have to spend a little bit of time doing homework. So by the way, I give that chapter for free on writeamustread.com. So I'd love for people to get my book. But if you don't want to get my book, you could. I made it for free for a reason because I just want people to have knowledge. And in that chapter, I talk about let's think about what are your personal priorities versus what you think you can do. Maybe you won't get a traditional deal, but if you want one, you could still try. There's always plan B and C, you know? Yeah, so I think I'm, so I, I, I initially wanted my book done by the end of the year, of course, just like everybody. Uh, well, you would get the first draft done. Yeah, you mean so done as in published? Done and done, yeah. It's like a, I was one of those yeah. in La La Land that said, no, I'm going to have my book done by the end of the year. I'll get my yeah. speaking stuff done. Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that changed. So I'm thinking, you know, maybe 2025, somewhere in 2025 for actual publishing. Uh, if I go that route, I'm thinking that should give me enough time for all the different edits, all the different things, if I can get on with a you know publisher. So we'll see. But my schedule has definitely changed based on the stuff that I've learned. Well, if you, okay, can are we allowed to talk about your book right now? Sure, sure. Okay. Do you have a book proposal yet? No. Okay. You got 55,000 words, Sean. You also did core work at Heroic that is really going to help you. So you're ahead of the game. My advice, if you want to take it, is to just pump the brakes on finishing the whole draft and then get a book proposal done and then edit two solid chapters so that they're just stellar and then start pitching because nonfiction authors don't have to complete their entire manuscript except for memoir, but I don't think yours is a memoir. No. So it's if you really want a 25 pub date, they're already booking that. So... You, I want you to take a pause and build out a book proposal. And if you want, I'll send you a template when we're done here. And because you actually have a lot of the elements already, so you got to do that because you got to start pitching. It's going to take you a minute. So then you can write the rest of the book later. But that would be my advice to you: is you know when you want the traditional deal, you have to decide. Okay, let me pause for a minute and get the pitch together, and then I'll get back to the main book. Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely take that advice because I, I definitely want to, I, I, I've decided based on, you know, the stuff that I've learned from you that I, if I, if possible, I'm going to go with the traditional and, and go that route because I think you can make a bigger impact when you go that route than self-publish. And I'm willing to do all, you know, marketing and I understand that I still have, 
It's not done when you it's published. Have to do it. yeah. yeah, I still have it's, to do all that stuff. Yep, yep. Yeah. So, man, that well, well, that would be great. That would be because that's I think after again after learning the stuff that you've taught, I think that is a better way to make an impact. Well, okay, for you, right? right. So for your other listeners. There are valid reasons to self-publish, and there are valid reasons to choose a hybrid publisher, which is a mix, and you can learn about that in the chapter. Um, it's Again, it's just what are your priorities? Maybe your priority is you want to have total control, maybe, and then traditional isn't actually the best bet for you. So take a look at that chapter. Again, it's free, everybody. At least just get a little bit of knowledge. Um, and then also, I mentioned Jade Friedman earlier. She actually has for free on her site, every year she updates it, a publishing path grid that helps you make decisions as well. So with a combination of those two things, even if all you did was read that chapter and look at her grid, you would know so much more than the average person. And then you could start to make a decision for yourself. And I highly recommend the people that are listening right now you go and do that. And, and all these links, we'll put them in the show notes. So you'll be able to just go to the show notes, click on them and, and go there. But I highly recommend it because that really did just that one chapter, not even reading the book, but that one chapter helped me decide on really, if possible, the way that I want to take it just based on what I know now. I just know, I know more than I didn't know before. So uh, it was very much helpful. And so thank Good. you for that. I'm so glad. I'm so glad. Yay. Go for it, Sean. And so one of the, I mean, before we close out, you know, I wanted to talk about some of the ways that you help uh, writers because you do both. I mean, you're still writing books. You're still, yeah. I would imagine you're still going to come up with another solo book that you're writing. Uh, you're still working with Mike. I think that, yes. do you work with others other than Mike? I think Mike's the only person that you're actually really. Yeah. I wonder if it's gone to his head a little bit. I don't really know. <laughs> but when I quit ghostwriting, I called him up. And I can say at one point he was one of my clients, right? Now he and I are actually partners. We have a partner relationship now. It's kind of a different situation. So I'm all in on the book as much as he is. And so whatever is successful, we share. Whatever isn't successful, we share. Does it make sense? Yeah. Um, so it's more like a business partnership. That said, I did, <laughs> I think I freaked him out a little bit when I said, I'm done. I'm done ghostwriting. I'm out. It was a long time coming. I burned out. I talk about it a little bit in the book. It was too, I just, several factors. But then I told them, but I'm going to still work with you. So there was definitely an exhale moment there for him. I, yeah, I still write with him. We write one book a year. We have a new book coming out in January of 24 called All In, How Great Leaders Build Unstoppable Teens. And it's actually available for pre-order right now. And I love our work together, um, but I also work with authors in my workshop, which I host once a year. It is for people who are really trying to write that game changer book. So it's not for folks that are trying to just get it done. It's for folks who are trying to write something truly remarkable. And uh, that runs in the fall once a year. And yeah, I, I was disappointed that you only moved it to once a year because you did have it twice a year and now you're I'm going. sorry. <laughs> so maybe. I know. It's this in September. It yeah. starts in September. I'm at the HPS stuff. And I'm like, oh, can I, can I, I, know. I know. We'll see. You. The other thing I do though that uh, might be interesting to folks who are working on stuff, including yourself, is uh, I'm just launching a beta editing class that starts this fall. And it'll be walking people through the methodology I teach about how to edit a book with the reader in mind. 
And oh. so that's another option. Yeah. That is going to be fantastic. I, I had to go to one time a year because I want to write other stuff. And in my workshop, I'm very hands-on, one-on-ones, totally devoted, small group. And I didn't want to change that. So I had to make a little space for my own projects. Otherwise, you'll never get another book out of me. <laughs> and I can only imagine. So I've, I've looked at your, you know, the, the workshop that you do, uh, top three book workshop. And I can only imagine that it's like the stuff that you teach in heroic public speaking, but on steroids. Much, much faster because obviously we're just doing stuff for speeches and, and keynotes and things like that. So I'm sure it's, but I would think the methodology would be like that, but on steroids, which I can only say would well, be amazing. I mean, I think that Heroics Foundational Five is critical. And I think that my, what I call book fundamentals are in alignment. That's one of the reasons I started coaching with HPS because, um, I read uh, Steal the Show by Michael Port. They asked me to read it and consider joining the team. It was about maybe seven years ago. And I read it and I thought, oh, I say that, but I call it something else. And so then I realized we were in alignment uh, with not just our value system, but also the way we think about building out content. Yes, it is on steroids for sure. It is an intense workshop, but it has to be. Because if we're going to try and get a book that's truly, I mean, I'm talking about a book where your life is different because you wrote it and your readers' lives are different because they read it, that is not a walk in the park. Fortunately, I have support systems built in, community built in, so it doesn't feel like torture. Um, it's actually really fun and a terrific experience. Um, but for me, it's a lot of work. So that's why I had to go down to one so I could maybe write some of my own stuff. Well, I, I'm if I ever get into that, I, I'm looking forward to that workshop. But you also do like, uh, so one of, some of the things that we did in HPS was we did these writing sprints and we did these other things, kind of helping each other out kind of on the side. We did these things that uh, yeah. obviously you recommended like, hey, you guys should do these sprints. You guys should do these things and <laughs> yeah. gave us these ideas. And you yeah. have you know your authors club that kind of does that for authors as well. So you have, I'm thinking that's kind of what we were doing in HBS, but in, you know, again, more geared towards books, uh, probably a little higher level, but it's still, it's that process that helped me. So in other words, you know, stuff that I, I would think that you're doing in the Authors Club, you know, you have, you know, uh, word counts that you want to get done by the end of the day or, you know, those things. That is what really helped me say, okay, I can do this. This, Those things help me chunk it down to yeah. manageable in my mind. You know, in my mind said that, yeah. okay, yeah, I can do that. I can do that. And they added up. Listen, I just, I guess the, the writing sprints, it's a, it's a, just a writing sprint group and, uh, the group is at uh, meets twice a day and uh, write, we write together for an hour on Zoom. And then, you know, we also take questions as needed. So we've got all sorts of people in there writing all sorts of things. But it's mostly about the discipline and not being alone, you know. Yeah. Writing is lonely. Yeah. Writing is lonely. You need people. And it's so easy to just say, I'll do it tomorrow. I'm not going to do it now. It we'll is. It but if you commit and say, I, if you, I have this appointment to meet with my, you know, meet at writing sprints. Even if you only use 15 minutes of it for writing, you can just feel good that you're dedicated. And you can use it for any kind of writing. I have people in there writing books, but I also have people in there writing screenplays, marketing emails, blog posts, all that stuff. It's just to stay in the zone, you know? Yeah. Well, I encourage 
all of the listeners to, and again, I've had authors on here. Uh, I love, I love, here's the thing. I love getting authors on the podcast because I can get decades of information and decades of knowledge into an hour of just stuff. It's like the knowledge that authors bring are just, it's amazing. So anybody that's listening right now, I, and I don't care if people are writing for uh, workshops, if they're writing for podcasts, if they're writing for even for stuff like uh, any type of long form stuff, speeches, write a must read, I think can go across way more than just books. The processes that you have in that book, again, I'm using it for my podcast. I'm using it for virtually, I've taken your stuff and I'm kind of changing it around a little bit to work with all the different content that I'm writing. And that's why I think it's such a powerful book. And and uh, one, thank you for putting that book out. I know it's oh. because it 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 it's funny, but you did write a book that changes lives, and that's oh, man. and that's what the, I mean. That's what your your goal was. And again, that's why I changed the way I'm going to write my book because it is possible, and we can do that. Hundred percent. I've got people who graduated from my class who barely passed English. And or we're in remedial English and they have books that are in universities right now yeah. that are taught in universities. Same person. Right. So you it's just and it, you really can do it. You really absolutely can. And it's not be, I would never BS anyone about it because I think that just breaks hearts. It's heartbreaking to have someone lead you down a path that's just um, f that's just false hope. What you just you just need clarity systems and a good editor man you gotta have a good editor um and then and then you can do it you can do it but everyone has an editor nothing wrong with that yeah and and you actually talk about that in your in your book about that conference that you went to that there was an influencer that had you know was talking mm -hmm. on stage selling his book i guess probably selling coaching the way it sounded selling coaching into here you can write a book here's my stuff yes and not l telling them the audience, the full truth. And right. I actually know someone who wrote a book and they actually paid. I, I don't have the exact figure, but it was probably close to three figures or six figures, probably close to a hundred thousand dollars to have mm -hmm. their book published. And on the, I think it was, might've been New York times. I can't remember which bestseller list, but on the bestseller list. And I'm like, I don't want to do that. That, that to no, me is. First of all, that would have been a bargain by the way. 100k to do all that plus the New York Times list um it would be closer to 300,000 or even upwards of that um just just write a great book man just write a great book you can do it it's 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 just about thinking about your reader first and starting from there and then i promise you you can do it yeah and that again that perspective changed too all the stuff you see you teach so many good things Aww. But thank I just you. believe in people. That's yeah, it. You do. You you believe in us and you uh, encourage us. Now you're not. Sometimes you're not easy on us. There's things no. you're very, but it's very much helpful and very much and the kind. truth. I think I'm kind. Kind, helpful, and the truth. You're not gonna. Yeah. You didn't feed us any BS. Like, hey, you're gonna become no. a bestseller. Just do this. It's like, no, this it takes work. That's hurtful. That's hurtful. We shouldn't do those things. <laughs> False hope is hurtful. Yes. <laughs> But thank you so much for uh, being on the podcast. I can't wait for the listeners to 
uh, to listen to this. And for those listening, again, go to the show notes. We're going to have everything in the show notes for all the links to get to the stuff that we talked about, all the content that we talked about, the tools that she has, uh, obviously a link to the book and go up there and take a look at this stuff because it really, again, I don't care what you're writing for. It can change the way you write and change the way you think really on, on the stuff that you're putting out and make it important. So thank you so much for, for being on the show. Thanks, Sean.